Welcome to Mentors on the Mic. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. So I always like to start off my interviews with the question, what was your first role in the entertainment industry? Um, I don't know if I don't know if being an artist or playing in a band counts. If it yeah. doesn't, then being a promoter is probably my being a concert promoter in the Midwest is probably my first uh, official entrance to the music business. Nice. How and what age were you for that? Just like were you in high school or college <clears throat> after? Uh, I'm at that time I'm in college. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, so, so that's yeah, yeah. I think that totally counts because it's it's you're doing so much and you're in the business. You're you're fully yeah. seeing all the artists, etc. So then my next question would be: I, st I started yeah. as a promoter to get my band to be able to play to to open for bigger artists. And back then, you know, in, in early two thousand, so this is like two thousand two, two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand five, like that time frame, uh, pre Live Nation, AEG, all these big companies. Um, it, it wasn't that hard for the local promoter to add an opener uh, or, or a local band, you know, and that was that was something that you could do. And so uh, you can't do that anymore. Now Live Nation sells a tour and it comes with whoever they sell. And it's not there's not a great platform to launch uh, young artists regionally or locally and uh, artists break on the Internet now. So that's a whole other conversation. But, uh, yeah, it, it's funny because I, I the whole premise of working at clubs and being a promoter was just to put my uh, my band on as an opener before I realized that we weren't really that good. So, well, so, so any tips for people who are like just starting out and are like, how do I start promoting myself? What, what worked for you? Um, I mean, I think it's, it's so different now. I mean, yeah. like, um, you know, there's a, there's a great book, uh, that this big entertainment lawyer, Don Passman wrote called all you need to know about the music business. And it's kind of like the, it's kind of like the primer on the music business that literally everyone in the business has read. Um, yeah. And what's funny is I gave my copy, I think it had a yellow cover on and it gets updated every few years. There's like a new volume. And I gave my copy to this kid that worked for me. And I, I think I gave it to him like three, four years ago. <clears throat> and he said, um, there's a half page in here about the internet. <laughs> like, you know, like it, it's right. just funny because it's like, you know, now you know, digital and, 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 and the internet and everything and social would take up, you know, probably half the book, but, Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think there's some tenets of the music business that are still very old school about rights and deal making and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it, it is just kind of funny how, how it's changed so much. I mean, you know, I think the, yeah, the, the, the best advice, cause, cause there's, there's too much advice. Like there's too many bullet points. The best advice I'd give anyone trying to get into the music business that doesn't have any connection to it or parents of the business or, or anything is, is to, um, you know, is to, is to find, is to study the greats and get obsessed, you know, cause that's what, that's what I did. I was obsessed with the business for years and years and years and soaked up everything. And um, you know, it, it, this was never just a job, you know? And so I yeah. think that that's something that I really, um, you know, long before I moved to LA, I knew who all the players were. I knew who all the greats were. I was always aware of kind of the people that came before their successes, et cetera. Um, right. But what's, interesting, what's yeah. interesting too, with what I've researched about you in interviews I've, I've seen, you, you feel like there's sometimes a misconception, like people go in thinking, oh, they have to have their favorite artists to look up to, but often mentors right. should also be the ones in the business, like the greats that do it well, that know. So can you talk a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, everybody has their favorite artist, um, which is important because I think I think being in the business, you have to love music. You have to understand artists. You have to really know songs. 
the contemporary music business that's existed for uh, you know less than a hundred years now is or or about a hundred years is is really um, is really built on songs. You know, it, it was it was built on songs and 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 artists, but but it was it was about hit songs. And I think that you know ultimately um, you know. I just meet a lot of young executives. I've been talking about this lately. I meet a lot of young executives that are, and this could be a generational thing. I mean, I think we said our parents were old and out of touch. And now the generation younger than us says that we're old and out of touch. I think that's natural. Some of it's natural. And yeah. some of it is, some of it is like this kind of complete <clears throat> dismissal for like, just like I said, the people that came before. And, uh, and I just see it a lot with younger people. And so yeah. I think it's important for people to like, you know, care about, uh, you know, the, the people that were successful in their field, you know, I mean, I, you know, to me, it's like, it's all these record men that are like, you know, the Ahmed Erdogan's and the David Geffen's and the Mo Austin's and the, you know, the, and the Clive Davis's and people that have these like incredible stories, um, you know, as record men and then as managers, you know, the Irving Azoff's and Miles Copeland's and, um, you know, I mean, I mean, even back to, um, uh, uh, Colonel Tom Parker, Elvis's mm, manager, right. Contra very, con very controversial guy. But, uh, you know, there's there's so many people that, um, you know, like I, I, I just I was obsessed with Jerry Weintraub, you know, mm -hmm. who I just think is 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 a, is a god that that walked through this town. I just I think that uh, people a year younger than me and and people in their 20s and everybody getting into this business doesn't really a lot of them don't really care about it. And a lot of people haven't studied those people. And I think it's a shame uh, it. it it takes out a lot of context, I think, for the business, and uh, and it's um, and a lot of a lot of depth. And look, yeah. for a lot of younger people, it's not necessarily about that. And I think the um, you know my general manager, uh, that that that's my business partner and, and works for me. You know, uh, always reminds me. He says, uh, you know, a lot of things that matter to you uh, don't really matter anymore. Like there's some things that are kind of from a bygone era. I think uh, I think some of it really matters, and I think some of it. Um, the, the kind of modern manager probably doesn't resemble the manager from 20 years ago. Um, you know, we're headed into a time, obviously, with the last couple of years. Um, I was going to try to not use the word pandemic in this uh, in this uh, interview. I but, thought you were uh, going to say TikTok. I'm not. I'm trying not to use the word TikTok. <laughs> trying to not use that one. We're, we'll keep all the buzzwords out. Uh, but no, I really the last two years really showed us that we, you know, a lot of people aren't using offices. A lot of people are decentralizing. Um, a lot is changing. Uh, I think it still just requires, you know, for, for what I do as a manager, it just re still requires great leadership mm. and people that have depth and understand history and have vision and 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 understanding of, of how to you know navigate artists and creative talent through the you know through the music business. So That's great advice, great. Yeah. And then, um, so how did you transition from promoter to getting into management? I um I had a friend that I went to school with who sent me a band and then I also had my college roommate sent me this other band uh one I one I signed uh this is in the days of like not knowing what the roles in the music business are so one I became their booking agent and the other one I became their manager um one got a record deal and then the other one got a record deal they're both from one was from my home state and then one was from Illinois from Chicago mm -hmm. and then I started kind of I started my own business and I started managing bands you know i came from the punk world so i started managing punk bands and rock bands and um, later had a lot of legacy talent and radio rock acts and active rock stuff and uh but i but i kind of started with 
bands that, you know, toured like crazy. And, you know, I had guys in vans before I had guys in buses. And, um, you know, and I really, really learned the, um, uh, uh, really learned the, the, the world of touring and, you know, really saw the world. I mean, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was a great experience, um, just to, you know, to go out in the world or go out, go out on the road, uh, with an artist, um, and just see every city, really understand Europe, really understand Asia. Um, and when I, when I stopped doing it on my own, I went to go work for the guy who was kind of famous for managing Kid Rock. It was at a company called Uppercut in Chicago. And, um, and I worked with a lot of bands there and, um, I spent a lot of my time, uh, with the band Better Than Ezra and the singer Kevin Griffin, and um, a lot of other rock, you know, rock acts. And, uh, and when I left there to, to move to LA, 2008, 2009, something like that. 2009. Uh, yeah, 2009. That's when you started at the collective. Yeah, 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 yeah started the collective. And then uh, hard keeping track of the years now. I'm then, sure, uh, there's a lot yeah. there. Well, so let's, let's stay with the collective. How was it yeah. there? And then what are a couple things maybe that you picked up while you were there at the collective that you maybe use till today or you think about a lot? Um, so I think one of the things I learned at the collective was, uh, so, so there, there's so many things to learn about what to do and what not to do that you learn from your mentors. Uh, these guys were so good to me. They gave me an amazing platform. The company was easily one of the biggest, um, uh, companies, you know, of, of the time, you know, in, in the, in the music TV film space, I got in there somewhere around like 25 employees and, and it was like 200 200 to 250 people by the time I left. So, um, you know, one of the things I learned that, that I think was, I don't want to say not to do, but I just, I saw a company really scale up with a lot of people, um, really strong leadership, but, but really like music was just kind of a cog in the wheel. Mm. And it was really run kind of by a lot of TV film people. And it was very corporate. And I think, so, so all of that's fine, uh, especially being young and being in your mid twenties and learning how to navigate a company with a lot of people and a lot of egos and a lot of personalities and managers that are that are interesting people. I think what I what I was kind of a takeaway of what not to do was like when I left, I just wanted to start a great music company. Like I want to be a great music manager. I want to do something small and boutique and and that kind of like, you know, top floor, you know, uh, 250 person office in Beverly Hills, kind of very flashy thing was just not interesting to me. So um, so I said, I'm just going to go be like the best music manager I can for the for the next handful of years. The thing that probably rubbed off on me is that that was really positive was I learned how to build a company that, you know, that that like milk and honey's, you know, because eventually become a proper entertainment company with different verticals. Um, there's things I saw about that company that I that I really admired. I admired more than I didn't, um, but things that I wanted to build just in my own way. Um, and so I, I still have this idea of you know, continuing to build a multi-platform entertainment company, but having less people probably, mm. you know, because I think culture goes away when you have too many people, people stop talking to each other. Um, it feels like a job. Nobody wants that in rock and roll. So, um, so I think, I think for, we're, we're doing it in very differently, but there's things like, you know, there's definitely things as it relates to offices and, and, you know, and, and, everybody's got an assistant and it's a little flashy and, you know, the Hollywood thing that I think that there were things I liked about it that, that we definitely have recreated and taken with us. But, um, you know, I just, we just want to do it with less people. We want to yeah. make sure the company stays really tightly knit. Um, 
and so yeah so i so it was a really good experience and i got to learn from amazing managers and um and you know i kind of pivoted when i left into songwriters so i so i, I was kind right. of doing something different anyway that so. was my next question actually so yeah. so what made you get into sort of that arena right going into um now deciding that you're going to specifically manage songwriters as opposed to artists or um, songwriters I, and producers. yeah yeah i had um uh i had a client named david hodges um, and he was uh, from the band Evanescence. And so uh, he was with me for a while at the collective. And basically, you know, when I left, came with me uh, along with a few other clients. And, you know, I kind of, I knew who he was because I, I had been in the rock world, you know? And, uh, and, and so, <clears throat> you know, he was a pop writer. And the first hit we had together um, was, uh, was Christina Perry, A Thousand Years. And that was kind of at the beginning of this new business. And so uh, that, you know, there, there's like a few hits in the beginning that that get the business kind of off the ground. Nick Jonas, Jealous was one with my client, Sir Nolan. Uh, Selena Gomez, Asa Brocky, Good For You was another one. Like there's there's these songs that kind of happen that allow us to kind of open the door. It gives and you when like I, leverage them or, or just uh, credibility, right? I think it's just the... It's credibility. It's it's a, you show people that there's a proof of uh, uh, concept, concept, you know. Um, and then I think there's also kind of that situation of just needing cash flow and needing needing to you know actually have revenue and business. Um, so, you know, it's it's something where I think that uh, we we were really lucky. You know, I mean, your first year, you're like, please, one hit song, you know, and then it just turned into more and more. And, uh, yeah, there were years where we just had multiple, multiple songs yeah. on the chart. So I think it, you know, it, it, it was, it was validating because it proved very early on that, that we, you know, had an idea of what we were doing, Absolutely. you know, cause I think there's, there's lots of luck in the music business. Um, and, yeah. uh, and, and I think there's a lot of strategy to what happens in milk and honey and we require a lot of luck as well. So, yeah. um, so I think that, that was an important validator early on that we started started having hits and you know that we could get people to sign with us i mean one one songwriter that i you know started the business with turned into about 100 100 plus so uh it's been been nice to kind of build it a you know piece at a time so. and for a thousand years how was that you know placement in you if you will of uh in twilight because that that really helped it's like it's skyrocket if you will right yeah i mean the thing is, is it's a great example of um, a great example of uh, kind of like like that. Like I still think I have a lot of clients that that don't that think it's like it's a myth that like it's like hey write a song for this movie and here's the brief, and and clients are like oh that never works except it does you know like it's there's something there's something about that about that song where it's like I mean I I think we we knew that. Uh, that she was a huge Twilight fan. Mm. Um, I had had a song for the band Metric with one of my old clients, this guy Gavin Brown, uh, uh, in in the in a prior in a prior movie, um, and so I, I knew the people and I kind of knew about it. Atlantic had Christina, and they were pushing her for this film. We knew Al Alex Patsavas, who was the music supervisor, and um, you know it was just was one of those things. Uh, one of those things where it's like they wrote they wrote the right song and they wrote the right lyric, you know, you know, it's like, don't be afraid. I've loved you for a thousand years. It's about so a vampire. Right. You know, it's like it's kind immortality. Of. Like it's it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of amazing. And I think 
I think it was just like, it's an amazing example as well, where it's like, that song did not go top 10 at all. Like that song mm. didn't feel like a hit on media base or billboard or anything when it happened yet. Like when we sold, uh, we sold David's catalog and sold that song. It's like, it's like an immense copyright. It's like next to, next to tons of other, you know, pun intended next to a thousand other kind of number one pop songs. This song is just a monster. Um, and mm. we have, we have some of those songs where it's like, we're lucky to, you know, there's these songs that, um, you know, I kind of, once in a while, when we get them, I, I, I hear a song like a thousand years. And I say, well, I'd rather have that any day mm. over uh, the, the Justin Bieber hit. A any day of the week. I mean, we had James Arthur say, you won't let go. Wedding song forever, forever mm. and ever and ever. It's uh, number 13 most streamed song on Spotify. You know, um, Alessia Cara, Scars, You're Beautiful. Like mm. important, important record. Uh, I have this song that I'm hoping really happens uh, that David wrote on the on the new uh, Ed Sheeran album called First Times. <clears throat> I hear this song and I'm like, this is a thousand years all over again. It's a song that will live at weddings and um, and really, you know, just be an important song for a lot of people in moments in their life. Uh, mm. So, you know, I think it was somebody told me, um, says, yeah, well, if, if hit songs are about, you know, top 10, top five, number one pop hits, then, you know, Bonnie Raitt, uh, I Can't Make You Love Me, I think peaked at like something in the 30s or like yeah. 27 or 28, you know, something like that. And so it's kind of like, you know, uh, I think we live in a world now where it's about singles and hits and it's hard for those songs to live that are great album songs. But uh, there's a lot of important art that doesn't, you know, you know, that doesn't go number one on the chart. So True. And then um, can you give us an idea specifically of what your role is right now? Yeah, so... I mean, my title is, is CEO and founder of Milk and Honey, but that started as a songwriter producer management company, which evolved into a music licensing company with a with a big focus nowadays on licensing in the in the ad space, yeah. uh, in, in TV commercials, et cetera, globally, um, which you know has has evolved into an artist space with a really strong focus in in electronic music mm. globally. So artists, you know, all over the world. Um, big focus on Australia and Europe and Latin America, um, and people all over the place. Um, that'll probably do like 1400 shows next year across the roster. Uh, if, if shows are happening, uh, it's a daily concern we're following. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that, and that evolved into being, you know, beyond artists into, uh, us, you know, acquiring some sports agents at the top of this year. Yeah. So milk and milk and honey sports starter where we represent, uh, about 15 guys in the, in the NFL. Mm -hmm. That's growing. More agents coming on board, more talent. We're going to diversify into other sports. Nice. Um, so that became a full rebrand into music and sports. Uh, we started a venture side, which what that means basically is that we partner with our clients to build businesses where we have equity, you know, businesses with them. So that's publishing companies, uh, record companies and, and, and production companies. Uh, that's uh, you know, for, you know, for anything else, it's, it's just intellectual property. That could be a, you know, an app, a spirits deal, an apparel brand, whatever it may be. It's kind of creating brands or creating intellectual property with clients. So that's what the venture side is. We'll co-invest. Uh, we help them raise money in and in and outside the music business. Um, so we've got a portfolio of brands there and, and companies that we own with, uh, with our music clients. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, and then beyond that, it's, um, it's uh, you know, this, which, which we've not, 
really yet announced. So I, I can't go into too much, but we've started an NFT division, nice. which we'll really we'll really get into next year with really incredible clients, uh, and and that's something exciting. Uh, but it has it has more kind of dimensionality than that, which we'll we'll announce Q1. But uh, uh, so you know, ultimately the company's kind of become a, a media company, uh, entertainment yeah, company, huge, whatever whatever kind of cliche I want to use. Uh, and uh, and so so my role in that is is overseeing it. We've got a great general manager. Uh, people always say, "Who's the HR guy?" I say, "You're looking at him." Um, so you know the company's still just being a little south of thirty people. Yeah. It's still pretty pretty nimble. And half that company is in our in our LA office on Wilshire, and the other half is uh, in London, Amsterdam, Nashville, New York, Dallas, and Sydney. Um, each of those offices like one to one to three people, you know, wow. depending. So great little satellite offices, and um, and so yeah. So so my role is is, is overseeing and, and and running that whole thing. And I'm a co-manager to all of the music artists and writers and producers, but they obviously have team. They have teams and day to day to day managers. So amazing. Well, let me know when you have a podcasting vertical. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Any actionable actionable advice that you would give to new artists or songwriters? We talked a little bit about it in the beginning, but I was just curious if there's any more that came up for you. Um, you said really a really good team. Yeah. Make sure to hire really good people. Go to college. Do something else. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, um, listen, the amount of times I actually, I've heard this, I gotta, I gotta and I'm honest, an actor. I, I got to be honest. I don't feel that way because I think when you're, I think that when you're successful. It's, and you've been doing it for many years, it's easy to say, well, you know, there was so much nuance and so many kind of key linchpin moments where you're like, okay, well, it's not likely for those things to happen again for someone else. And so, oh, it's just so hard. It's impossible. Yeah. It's actually, the more successful you are, I think the more you would tell someone not to do this because you're like, there's no way that person going to have the same luck and the same trajectory. And the truth is, you have to look at it differently because you were able to do it, somebody else can. Mm. Now, you know, um, you know, one and however many statistically will be able to do it. But I think the best advice I have for people is like, is, is as I said earlier, you know, just become relentlessly committed to your craft and obsessed. Don't, don't feel like you need to hold down some small, small town and be like, oh, I'm gonna be the big fish in New Orleans, move oh. to LA, Nashville, New York, Atlanta, London, I, Sweden, Berlin. I did read in an article are, that you said not uh, you excluded New York. I remember that. I think New York has lost a lot of its community. I think it's the capital of, you know, of of, of business in the world. It's the capital of uh, of the ad agencies, you know, brands. It's the capital of uh, you know uh, fashion, and it's the capital of major record companies. Still, you look at, you know, Atlantic Records is still all out there. Republic Records is largely out there. Um, you know, uh, until recent, I mean, a lot of the Sony labels kind of left, RCA Records just left, um, but there's lots of other, some of the bigger indies are out there. Uh, there's still a lot of like, like, I can go to New York for a full week and take back-to-back -back meetings five days in a row and still not seeing everybody I know. So um, the whole of Def Jam is out there, um, Island is out there. So so it's not it's not like the record companies haven't, haven't all left. Um, but yeah, yeah, at some point, a lot of these people come to LA I think it's hard to be a songwriter in New York. I think that's a unique challenge, but uh, there's some great people out there doing it. And it just depends again, what your seat at the table is, you know? Mm -hmm. um, like we're all in this music business for, for those of us in the business, but, but we do different things in the way that like, 
you know, our, our company grew and grew and did amazing uh, during the pandemic, which we had a little bit of guilt about. And then, you know, I had friends at Live Nation that got laid off, you know, because it's like the, their business is touring. So it's just, exactly. there's several degrees of separation in terms of what we all do in the business. And, um, you know, so it really just depends what you do. And what about putting your work up on like, you know, platforms yourself or, you know, whether it's YouTube, whether it's TikTok or whether it's um, SoundCloud, just like putting your music out and just getting it out there on online. Yeah. So, so back to that, I mean, I think it just comes down to uh, modern music entrepreneur as an artist has to be, has to have the creative and has to have the business. Can't be you know, one or the other. And if you're in a band, then you can have one guy that does this and another guy that does that. Right. But, Split but I strengths. think that, uh, yeah. Um, and I think that uh, uh, I have a lot of friends that are big successful artists that are duos or bands or whatever. And, uh, and I could say like, okay, well, this guy's all the brains and then this guy's all creative, you know? It works. Um, with, yeah. And so it's, so it, it's definitely a thing. I think that you know, you have to be, you have to make, the content has to be great. So whether it's video content or that's the music, it has to be amazing. And then you have to go figure out how to launch it. And, you know, if you look at, I forget the statistic of 62,000 or gazillion, how many songs come out a day on Spotify. It's, it's a lot to cut through. Yeah. The new music Friday, Spotify playlist, which is kind of like an industry playlist at this time, but it matters. Uh, yeah. At this point, uh, I think it's 100 to 120 songs a week. And as I scroll down the list of songs that come out every Friday, they're all songs that have a real purpose of being there. Like they're, they're not songs that uh, are from random people or people that don't have a real team. Like they, they're all, you know, so there's a, there's a lot, there's a really big global contemporary music business now. Yeah. And I think, I think it's about figuring out, you know, just how to launch your music and making sure the music really is special you know, and, and then focusing on the thing that every manager thinks about, which is audience. It's about building audience. You know, you, you can start with your first hundred fans. You have to turn them to a thousand and to 10,000 and to a hundred thousand fans. And if you can build audience, you'll have every record deal, every touring deal, mm -hmm. all of that that, you, that you'd ever dream of, but it's just about building there. fan base and loyalty. And, um, and I think managers think about that um, mm. in a different way than labels do. Like there'll be things like, we'll want to go release a song in Asia and the record company will be like, uh, we don't want to let you do that. And I say, well, we don't want to pay for that. I say, or, Hey, we want to feature on this artist. They'll say, mm. Oh, we don't think you should do that. Cause it's not America. And this is where the hits are. And da, da, da. And I'll say, well, actually we're trying to tour our artist in Asia. So yeah. us having like a, a, a big a good feature collaboration in, or yeah, having a big feature in, in, in Mandarin, you know, in, in China to be able to, launch a song from one of the big artists locally, yep. you know, which, which major labels are never thinking about this. It's such a man, it's such a management item, you know, having a, having a great, uh, like underground electronic, uh, remix of a, of a song for, you know, for, for Germany, you know, and for Europe, you know, figuring out, okay, how do I take a song and remix it so that it gets, you know, what does this, a remix of a song need to sound like to get Vegas? What does it need to sound like to get Ibiza? Mm -hmm. You know, what are the different nuances to get kind of audience, right? Like we right. can track with our DJs, which DJs played their songs, where they played them, what gigs they played them at. You know, we can track all that on 1000, 1001 track list, I think it's called. So like we, we're always thinking about, it's like audience and getting music out through different people. I swear record companies don't think about it the way managers do. 
fair. That's so interesting. Um, no, really. And then how do you find new songwriters? What are some different um, ways? Yeah. It's, um, it's definitely become a thing now where it's like that business gets bigger and bigger. Tons of people move to LA and are complete stone cold hustlers and kind of get kicked out of the inner circle by not writing great songs. So mm. everybody wants to be a songwriter. Tons of people move this town every year to do it. And the ones that are great continue to become more and more respected because year after year, they stay in that inner circle. And I think that inner circle or inner cabinet is kind of protected just by the quality of how they handle their business mm. and the songs they write, the quality of the songs they write. And so there's all these kind of like hustlers around the writer producer business. Some of them like pull some money off the, the record business, but it's really the true writers and talents, you know, and, and amazing record producers that stay and that are perennial. For me, like we'll sign somebody when they've had their first hit, but I'm not interested if I don't believe. Like we'll we'll walk into somebody having their first hit and I will pass on them. And they're like, wait a second, I'm having like a number one right now. I'll say, well, if I didn't believe that they could do it again, we can't do that well on one hit song for it to matter. What one hit song does tell me is like, oh, maybe they can do it again. So I have to believe that they can do it again. And, um, and so I think, I think what I love about this town and places like Nashville and London, where we do a ton of business is these places are protected by the quality of the art, you know? And, uh, and so people can't force their way, their way into that, which is, which is really great. And yeah. so because that business, even though it gets bigger, it's really gets smaller and smaller. It's a lot of the same names. And so when a name comes up, we find out about it. And uh, mm. oddly, um, you know, the, the, I remember my old boss, you know, give me an Amex and said, go meet every lawyer and business manager in town. And I said, why? I was like, those are the most boring people in the, in the business. And he said, because those are the people that send you business. He's like, those are the people that, you know, a lawyer is the first person to sign an artist or a songwriter. You know, these are people that will call you if they like you and send you business. Mm. So so I met all I met all of them and work with all of them. And I think that's a big place where we get clients, but it's also from referral. You know, the power of referral is incredible. I think the you know, there's an old line, um, you know, the reward for good the reward for good work is more work. So if we put enough, you know, good news out there on milk and honey at some point, because all I ever wanted is like to be uh, a friend of songwriters. So you know, I feel this kind of like debt to the American songwriter because it at one point my career totally changed. Like it was like a pivot for me going into representing songwriters. This niche. It's allowed, yeah, it's a niche and it's allowed me to build all this other business that I have. So, you know, that was something where, you know, I, I feel like uh, I, you know, I, I started to really, it was really a groove I hit. You know, I started to really get that business. It was probably a better songwriter manager than an artist manager, mm. but we built a brand where it's like, whether we manage someone or not, we'll probably get a call and we'll probably get a meeting. And so we just hear about it through the through the grapevine. And a lot of times, like I said, through referral, our clients will will call us and they'll, yeah. and they'll say, hey, you, you got to hear about this. You, know, you got to meet this guy. Um, so, you know, and our clients are a great litmus test for us. If I'm going to represent a young songwriter, I will put them in with a couple of my clients and then I'll call my clients and say, hey, is he any good? You know, nice. is she any good? Nice. So, um, so yeah. Right. And then the last question I always like to ask people on my podcast, what is your definition of success? Wow. 
that is changing all the time. That, that's uh, why I asked. That's why I asked. Cause I feel like people have an idea of what success is and then they don't understand that a, that evolves and B it should evolve. Yeah. So I'm curious where, what it is now for you. Well, I think everybody from the base of the mountain, people look at people at a higher plateau or the top of the mountain and they think, uh, well, they have it all figured out up there and, and, uh, and everything's great. And the thing is, you know, from every, every peak or every plateau, you, you know, there's new things that become important to you. Um, you know, I, I worked at a company where I think becoming the biggest was important. And I think uh, for me, becoming the best is important. Mm-hmm. You know, I think for us having, having great systems at the company, you know, and in, in between the employees and, you know, if we sign a new songwriter, the idea that they can walk down the same hallway as every other client and have systems along the way, yeah. really the important for us. user experience and have it be smooth. Yeah. Thing, yes. So we have a, a huge administrative side of the company, you know, have a, a very kind of regimented way of how we handle this. There, there are great systems and I can go on vacation for the next three weeks. Nothing falls apart. Mm-hmm. I can go away in summer. Nothing falls apart. So we have really, really great systems. Uh, but I think, you know, I think the definition of success is, is in life is always happiness, but in business to, to be really specific, uh, you know, it's building a business that is asset-based, you know, so you have things that are sellable. So you're not just in the service business. Um, uh, also, you know, creating a, a really squeaky clean brand. Sorry, it's a list of bullet points for me. No, uh, a squeaky, a, a squeaky clean brand where you really, um, you know, have respect out there in the community. We still have never signed a contract with a creative person. Everything is on a handshake, uh, which has wow. been really unique. And so we, everybody's with us because they want to be with us. Wow. Um, lots of contracts in the business, but in terms of representing terms talent, of represent- that's amazing. Yeah. Send them an engagement letter and say, Hey, you can let us go in 30 days. Notice. Wow. Like if you're not, you know, <clears throat> like you don't want I heard people old- don't want, it, want to be with you anymore. I heard an old story that like Irving signed the Eagles on a handshake and I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. And then so I just kind of signed my first client on a handshake and I never, I never really changed it. So we're about 120 clients wow. um, on handshakes. So, um, you know, by the wow. way, in, in, in the, in the, the eight, you know, seven going on eight years in the company, almost no turnover, same roster we've had. It just keeps growing and growing, wow. which has been really nice. So, you know, we invest in the relationship and you have relationship capital to pull from when things go wrong. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, I think the idea is like creating a really clean brand where, you know, you could call anyone in town. I always tell people, call, ask about us, look us up. Um, you, you know, you can call anyone. And I think we have a really good, you know, really good reputation out there. Um, you know, yeah. and then and then I think I think beyond that, it's just about, you know, building something where, uh, you know, something that has real legacy, like I said, and real assets, and um, and, and something that's a that's a brand that can you know that can go into other you know into other spaces, uh, which which is what we're kind of doing right now. So I think that's the definition of you know those would be things that count to me in terms of definition of, of success. Yeah. Um, the thing I will say, which I think you know, I don't want to say doesn't matter because I think it has mattered. Um, you know, like for my clients right here, you know, this is like success number one records money, all of that. I think that's probably the most important thing. And like right here, just below it, but only a notch below it is respect from their peers. I think that is the number one thing I find over and over again about creative people is, you know, they all have something in common, um, you know, or the amount of damaged people that end up in the arts. It's like a, there's, it's like a study. And I think, 
you know, I think Frank Lloyd Wright, my father told me, Frank Lloyd Wright said, if you, you know, if you turn America upside down and, and shake it out, all the loose pieces uh, land in Hollywood. So, you know, um, it's like, you know, I just, something I've learned in all the like great, great prolific creative people I've worked with is lots of insecurity um, and people that feel, uh, people that have a need for acceptance and respect. And, uh, and, I, and I find across so many clients over the years that respect is a big hot button issue. And so I think, you know, one of the things that is part of the definition of success is respect from your peers, uh, which I think, uh, I think a lot of our clients, a lot of my colleagues, uh, I certainly worked hard for it, you know, have, have, have achieved that. So um, that's, that's somewhere up there on the list, you know, beyond the things everybody's, you know, right, right, right beyond, right under world domination. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Thank you so much. Really, honestly, I've learned yeah. so much from you in the last whatever bit of time. And I just, I really appreciate it. Just, it's, it's really impressive all that you've done, what, what you're doing consistently. And like you said, all the verticals that you're creating all the time and just thank you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. And uh, thanks for talking before the holidays.